One of the things I love about Christmas is old friends and family make it home, and I love it when you all make it home and sing. Thank you. Um, if you ever want to move back, you know, let us know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, if you're visiting here with us this morning, let me be the, among the first to welcome you, first of all, to Chillicothe Bible Church. We're glad that you're here. And if there's anything that I can do personally to help you find a place here in this family, let me know. Um, because we love you, and we'd love to have you be part of the family here and to, to find a home. And uh, uh, so see me. Uh, talk to me afterward or, or uh, give me a call on the phone. My phone number is inside the bulletin at the bottom on the left, and uh, we'd love to help you connect in the community here. Um, beyond that, I hope everybody has had a Merry Christmas. How many over ate yesterday? <laughs> All right. Uh, one sign of a Merry Christmas is that, is that you did that. Um, I made it my goal not to lose weight over the holidays, but to not gain any. And so far, I'm on track with that. Um, hope everybody had a great celebration with your families and that uh, uh, you remembered that Christ was born, and he is reason to celebrate and to feast and to have fun. Um, and if you have your Bible, we're going to look uh, we're going to look back. I know it's not technically Christmas anymore, but uh, it's just uh, one day later, and I want to draw our attention back. Uh, to the Christmas stories, Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go there. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to go through all of the begats at the beginning of that, um, although there's a cool song on YouTube that goes through those called Matthew's Begats. Uh, Andrew Peterson, if you, if you get curious on what that looks like, uh, you can look at that. Um, but I want to actually skip over that. <laughs> down to verse 18, down through 25, uh, to start with, and look at God, the miracle baby, and how he was born. So uh, let's look at that. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, I did not want to expose her to public dis disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I'm a parent. I have four kids, uh, and the wrinkles in my face and the lack of hair to prove it. Uh, but I know that ev the birth of every child is a special thing. 
one of the one of the few times that you can be sure that I cried was at the birth of each of my children. Now, I'm not a crier. I'm not that emotional of a guy. Uh, I'm a dude, after all. And so tears are not really my thing. But when my babies were born, I cried like a baby. In fact, I cried harder than the baby did um, at coming out of the birth canal and watching that miracle happen. I stood and cut the cord, and held that child in my arms, and looked down at this little miracle, and they are a miracle. And the fact that that can even happen just is incredible, the way that God has designed that process to work, and for that baby to come, and within hours to recognize your face among all the faces in the world as mom and dad. It's amazing. But this baby is a miracle baby in a different way. Because this baby was and is God in the flesh. God has come and dwelt among us as one of us. God has not stood at a distance and said, I love you. He has entered in to our life with all of its stuff and come down and become one of us to experience life as one of us. If anybody ever asks me what the answer is to the question, why is there so much suffering and pain and evil and wickedness and, and sickness and death in this world? I can tell them a couple of things. I can give them my sarcastic answer, which is, what if God decided to eliminate all of the evil in the world starting with you? That's my sarcastic answer. Okay. Um, And sometimes that's appropriate to be sarcastic. Paul is sarcastic. Jesus is sarcastic. So I I can be sarcastic every now and then. Um, But... The more compassionate answer is this. The Bible says that all of the evil and wickedness and sickness and death and destruction in this world is caused by human sin that not only radically affected each one of us, but affected the world that we live in. Even the natural realm is affected by the presence of sinful people. Or as Romans 1 says, or actually, Romans 8 says, the creation was subjected to frustration so that the world does not bear the presence of sinful people willingly. And it gives rise to things like sin and death. But even though God allows evil to persist, He entered into this evil world to redeem it as one of the people he created. And that, I think, makes all the difference. What's the answer to all the suffering that we experience? Jesus and the cross. That he came and bore the same kind of suffering that we all are all subject to. He enters into the world. 
And he proclaims his love for us, not simply in words, but in the final word, Jesus, that he loves us. And the arrival of God is so unusual. Now, I mean, think about this. Who ever heard of God being born? I mean, it just seems it's an odd concept to contemplate. And the arrival of God on the scene as a baby is so unusual that no one believes that it's happening. If you read Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, you realize that Mary initially is a little puzzled on how this can happen. She says, how can this be, remember? And the angel explains. And she says, well, I'll submit to God's will. But, of course, Joseph takes a little more convincing. He is engaged to this woman, and after a period of months, she shows up pregnant. Now, he knows that he has never touched this girl, and so the baby is not his kid. And in in Jewish uh, tradition and custom at this time, you when you were engaged, it was a legally binding contract that you had entered into. And so it wasn't simply, well, just take the ring off and it'll go back to the jewelry store and we'll forget the whole thing. It wasn't like that. You had to get a legal divorce as an engaged couple. And so he is thinking, well, obviously this woman is not faithful. And so I'm going to get a divorce because I'm, I can't live with a woman who's not going to be faithful to me. Now, that's not what has happened, but he doesn't know that. And maybe she's tried to explain it. But seriously, would you believe that story? An angel came to me and said that I would be pregnant with the Son of God. Really? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Are you stupid or do you think I am? (laughs) Okay. This is not normally the way that this kind of thing occurs, right? Women don't get pregnant this way. And yet that is exactly, in fact, what has happened. And so God decides he's going to have to communicate with Joseph. And Joseph has a dream, and an angel visits him in a dream and tells him, Mary's telling you the truth, big guy. She's been completely faithful and trustworthy, just as you believe that she was. And the child that's coming is God himself. He says, you're to give him the name Jesus. Because this child will save his people from, his, from, the, his, from their sins. The name Jesus literally means in Hebrew, it's actually not Jesus in Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek form. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. It's the covenant name of God attached to a verb, saves. Yahweh saves. That the God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said, when Moses asked him, who should I tell them has sent me to you? Say this, I am 
the one who is, the God who exists, the God who is there, is sending you, Moses, to deliver his people. That God, the covenant God, the law-making God, the God who led the people of Israel has come to save his people. And he says, give him the name Jesus. And Matthew says that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy only in a much greater way. Isaiah writes about 800 B.C. And in his day, the nation of Syria is attacking Israel. And he says in front of all the people, behold, the virgin will be with child. He gives him a sign that Israel is not going to be destroyed by the king of Syria. He says, behold, the virgin. And I believe he's pointing to a particular woman who is present in the room, that woman will be, will be pregnant, will give birth to a son, and before he is old, the person whom you fear will be defeated, and you'll be saved. It's a sign. It's a near-term fulfillment of a, of a later-term event. He says, when you see this woman pregnant, you'll know that God is with you and that he is going to deliver. You can call him, in fact, Emmanuel because you will know that God is with you when you see this woman become pregnant. Matthew takes that prophecy originally given to Israel some 800 years before Jesus and says, you know what? This applies in a much greater way with Jesus. Because while we know that Jesus saves, here's what we really know. Not only does he save, but the virgin, Mary has become pregnant, and now God himself is with us. Not just with us in, in the sense of protecting and providing as he was in Isaiah's day, but literally, physically, visibly with us in the presence of this little baby. It's literally God in the flesh, the ultimate embodiment of Emmanuel. God is with us. And so Joseph takes his wife and, and takes Mary home as his wife instead of divorcing her quietly as he had intended to do. And when the time came, the baby was born, and they gave him the name Jesus because Yahweh is going to save his people. story continues. Let's read on. Chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them 
until it was stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, as you know, God is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And those who rule on this earth are allowed to do so and taken out of their rule by God himself, as Isaiah 40 says. It says he sets up kings and takes them down. God reigns supreme, and when he, but when he comes, he is not welcomed by one of the kings he has allowed to rule, because Jesus, when he comes, is not only king of kings, he's also the descendant of David, the rightful king of Israel. And at the time, they have an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, who is ruling over the people named Herod. And Herod is not interested in having anyone else be king. In fact, historians tell us that Herod put to death several members of his own family when he felt that they posed a challenge to him, including a couple of his own sons. So do you think that he is going to welcome the news that, behold, the rightful king of Israel has been born with great joy and happiness? No. He's not going to, and in fact, he doesn't. Uh, when he comes, Christ comes as the newborn king. And even the stars are arranged in such a way as to announce the birth of the king. If you've not seen the movie yet, The Star of Christmas, you need to check it out of the church library and watch this. And I don't know if this is a completely accurate reconstruction or not, but I'll tell you this, it's a very plausible reconstruction and probably correct. That the stars themselves proclaim that the king is coming. And those who are watching the skies are aware of the announcement that God has made. Because God, who made the stars, has set up the universe in such a way that at specific times, on specific days, they would proclaim a message to his people. And so when it talks about, you will see the, the sky turn to darkness and the moon to blood on the great and terrible day of the Lord, guess what? On the day of the crucifixion, that happened. When John says, I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. That happened. When it says, we saw his star in the east, that happened. And the star announced the coming of the king. That happened. And the Magi who were looking for it to happen saw it. And who are these guys? Well, probably they're one of two groups of people. There were a significant group of Jewish people who lived in Babylon, which is east of Jerusalem, uh, from the days of the exile all the way up past uh, into the Roman Empire uh, into relatively modern history. There was a large group of Jewish people who lived in and around 
uh, Babylon in what's now modern-day Iraq. Uh, it, was it wasn't until, I believe, about the 1940s that Jews began to be expelled out of the Arab countries of the Middle East. As they became independent, they began to get rid of all the Jews. So it's possible that this group of, Mag of Magi are Jewish people living in Babylon who have been watching the stars and looking for the coming of Messiah because the Scripture foretold when he would be born and when he would live and when he would come. So they've been looking for his arrival. Uh, it's also possible, you know, Daniel was considered one of the wise men of the kings of Babylon. He would have been someone who would have been called a Magi. Call the wise men. Call Daniel and the other guys. And so it's also possible that these people are either descendants of Daniel or descendants of people who were taught by Daniel the Jewish scriptures and about the coming of Messiah. And so they would have been anticipating and looking for that person to be born and to come. And so when they see it, they get up and they go. Now, notice when they get there, Jesus is not in a stable anymore. He's at a house. Uh, my personal theory on this is that uh, the reason that, that, that the baby is born in a stable to start with is because everybody knows, they think, that Mary's baby is an illegitimate child because she was pregnant before the wedding. And nobody wants to be connected with that or shamed by that. And so even though they're in Joseph's ancestral hometown where he probably has family, nobody takes them in on the t at the time the baby is to be born. However, as often happens, babies have a way of softening people's hearts. And so probably they are living with family by this point. When the Magi get there, they offer three kinds of gifts. There are probably not three wise men. There are probably more than that. Um, they, there are probably more than three gifts. It says they opened their treasures, plural, and they gave him three kinds of gifts, things, things of gold and things of uh, incense and, and myrrh, okay? So... Um, uh, you know, if you ever get asked on a test how many wise men were there, the Scripture does not say, all right? doesn't give us their names, doesn't tell us a whole lot about them, doesn't tell us exactly what quantity of stuff they gave, but it does tell us that these are three kinds of gifts. And they have been sent, remember, by Herod down to Bethlehem, who tells them, well, the, the chief priests and teachers of the law have told me that he's born in Bethlehem, which is about six miles away. And when you, get, when you get down and see the kid, come back and, t and see me because I want to go and worship him too. Now, obviously, Herod has no intention of doing this. He just wants to find out exactly where the kid is so that he can uh, murder him in his crib. And again, the stars lead the wise men, and they find the child, and they offer him three kinds of very valuable gifts. Uh, it's possible that these three gifts 
make Joseph, in fact, a very wealthy man? We don't know. We don't know what quantity they are. We know that they're probably at least sufficient to pay for what's about to happen. And these wise men are warned in a dream, again, not to go back to Herod, so they return home by another route. Let's read on. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, after the Magi leave, Joseph gets another angelic visitor in another dream. And it warns him, you've got to get out of here. You've got to escape. And so he takes the gifts that he's been given, and they run for Egypt. And Herod, after he realizes what has happened, this is probably several days later, when the the Magi don't come back, He quickly understands what's happened. And so Herod orders the death of all of the baby boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Now, we don't know how many this is. It's probably at most a few dozen. Bethlehem was a small town. But it's still a murderous, nasty, evil thing to do. And keep in mind that because this is Joseph's ancestral hometown, a lot of these babies that die are probably cousins or other extended family of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Now, there's a couple of statements made that reference the prophets here in the text, and I want you to to see them, first of all. One of them from Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. And one from Jeremiah about a voice being heard in Ramah. And I, I've called this section, Jesus the Ideal Israelite. And actually, that's, that you could write that title over the first four chapters of Matthew's gospel. Because I want, I want you to see this, uh, and, and I want you to... to to get this, the way that the, the way that the, the whole text here is structured, okay? How does Matthew's gospel start out? Anybody remember? It starts out with a genealogy. And it starts out actually, it says, This is the record of Jesus Christ. Right? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now who remembers another place in their Bible where there's all these begats? Remember? Back in Genesis, right? The other place you see them is in Chronicles. Uh, these are two places that a lot of people skip over, and they're through the Bible in a year reading program. 
Uh, but the word there in Hebrew is the word toledot. Now, you don't need to know that, but it, it means these are the generations of, or this is the genealogical record of so-and-so. And then they go through, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, on down the line, and you go, boring. Okay, but here's the thing. This is what Matthew is doing with that. He is tying, first of all, Jesus back to Abraham and back to David, from whom he is descended. Abraham and David are the two most important figures for a Jew after Moses in all of the Old Testament. And then he's also tying Jesus back to where? Back to Genesis. And he is saying, in a sense, that just as Genesis is the book that starts biblical history, so, in a sense, the coming of Jesus is like a starting over of history. Because everything has changed out of that, right? Now, where are Mary and Joseph, chapter 2? They're in Egypt, and out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea is the citation, right? Because you've got Genesis, and you've got what? Exodus, the time in Egypt, and getting out of Egypt, and a miraculous escape. And then you're going to see, if you, if you keep going, you're going to see chapter 3. What does the nation do? They have a miraculous crossing of a body of water where God goes before them. Chapter 3 of Matthew, Jesus goes through the water, baptism. God announces that this is my son. Same words, by the way, that he uses with reference to the nation of Israel. Pass through the water, you're my son. Okay, you've got Exodus, and then chapter 4 of Matthew, you've got 40 days in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, right? And, he, and then he's continuing to cite how Jesus fulfills the prophets, and so what he's doing is this, he's saying Jesus fulfills Genesis and Exodus and the wilderness wandering and Numbers. And look at how he fulfills all the prophets. He fulfills Isaiah and Hosea and Micah. And then he's going to cite here Jeremiah. And so all of the law and the prophets fulfilled in Jesus, who is the ideal Israelite. He is the one that is, he is like Israel was supposed to be. Jesus is. And in fact, he says, look here, he fulfills Jeremiah. What's Jeremiah about? Jeremiah is about the day is going to come, the whole book. It's one of the longest prophets in the, in, the Old, in the Old Testament, one of the longest books in the entire Bible. Jeremiah is about one day you're going to go into exile because you have rejected God. And when you do, there's going to be a voice that's heard in Ramah. Where's Ramah? It's a town in Judah. And you're going to weep and cry. And he personifies the nation as Rachel, one of the wives of Jacob. You're going to weep and cry for your babies, 
because they're going to get killed in the exile. Why is that significant here? Because Jesus is part of the righteous remnant who escapes the exile, but lots of other people get killed. And so Jesus, in a sense, reenacts not all of Israelites, uh, all of Israel's history, history, Genesis and Exodus and the crossing of the water and the wilderness testing, and also fulfills the prophets and the exile in his life. Jesus is the ideal Israelite. There were lots of mothers who wept when the exile happened, when the nation was ruled by an illegitimate king. Now the nation is ruled again by an illegitimate king, and there are lots of mothers who are weeping, even though Jesus, the righteous remnant of Israel, has escaped. Now, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is simple. In Jesus Christ, at Christmas, God has come into the world. He has come as God, as king, as ruler, as the ideal Israelite, as the one who was to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets had spoken. He is the one about whom even the stars said, here is Messiah. And so the question goes out to all of us, just as clearly as it did in those days, what will you do with this child, with Jesus? Will you, here's one option, worship the child? Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the Magi from the east, even Gentiles, That's probably what these guys are, Gentiles, came and worshipped the newborn king, the one who was and is God in the flesh. Will you worship him too? A lot of us who have been Christians for a while, it's not that we necessarily don't recognize that Jesus is the Messiah or that Christ has come in this baby that we celebrate every year. It's just that sometimes familiarity breeds boredom rather than excitement. And we forget that the reason that he came was to be worshipped and followed. It's easy to forget, even we who belong to Christ, to forget to worship Christ, the newborn king. and to follow him and obey him. This is my last message this year, as I said. And so this is my last shot at you, okay, for two weeks. (laughs) Um, But I love you, and I want you to be motivated in 2011 to follow Christ fully and to worship him totally. Or there's another option, as there always is, but there's only two worship Christ or reject him as Herod and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and many, 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 many other people have done and continue to do. 
A lot of people love Christmas. They love gifts. They love trees. They like Christmas carols. They like to hear the Christmas story read. They enjoy everything about the season, the food, the lights, the fun, the manger scenes, the whole deal. But they will not and do not worship the child who is supposed to be at the center of it all. And I don't know all of you. I know that many of you are here as family or as guests of other people who uh, have made this their church home. And so I'm not here to beat on you. I'm just here to ask you a question. What have you done with Jesus? If you haven't come to the conclusion that the Bible and the church and even the stars reinforce that Jesus was and is the God who loves you enough to enter into your world and to bring you into new life with him. And may I suggest to you with all the love of Christ that you have missed the greatest thing that life has to offer. And I would love to have the privilege of giving you the ultimate Christmas present this morning and sharing with you how you can enter into that relationship with Christ. And it's very simple. Simply believe, as the Scripture says, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born of a virgin, who fulfilled what the prophets and the law had said, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, not simply as a good example or as a martyr or as uh, you know, a lawbreaker according to Rome, but for your sins and for mine to take away all the darkness out of our hearts and to replace it with the holiness of God and a new life in heaven with him. And all those who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins personally and was raised from the dead have that new life and have the right to be called the children of God and to enter into his presence for all eternity. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, y'all. And may you have eyes to see Jesus as he truly is, the newborn king, the son of God, the ideal Israelite, the one who came into the world because he loves you and me. Let's pray.